Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, this is James Stancil of the African American Studies Channel of the New Books Network. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Holly Charles, the author of Velvet. Uh, it's published by Author House. She is a uh, Houston author, which is uh, local for me. And, um, you know, I, I met her out in the community and I just had to uh, get her in to talk with you all on the African American Studies Channel. So enjoy this interview. It's, you know, a bit history. It's a bit historical fiction, a, a bit memoir. I think you're really going to enjoy he- hearing from Holly today. So uh, sit back and listen and enjoy. Take care. James Stansel, African-American Studies Channel and the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the African-American Studies Channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel, and I have the great pleasure of interviewing today someone that I've, I've gotten to know pretty well here in uh, in recent history. She's a Houston person, and she's written a book called Velvet. Her name is Holly Charles. Holly, how are you today? Just fine. Thank you for having me today. How are you? I'm doing very well. We're sitting here for, uh, depending on when you listen to this, it's MLK Day. And uh, yeah. we're just chopping it up, having a good interview here on MLK Day. And yeah. I'm going to tell you all. My wife is so excited about Holly's book. It's called Velvet, and it's published by Author House. And, you know, you know, Holly, we're going to get into the book, and I think um, our listeners are, are, are really going to um, love hearing what you have to say about this book. You did some great research on it, and you and I have talked about it offline, and I was just so fired up. You know, I wanted to get you on, on, <laughs> on the show to, to share your story and, and your, your research with our listeners. But before we get... Yeah really kind of into the book, you know, let's just talk about you a little bit. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, you know, how you, you know, where you sure. come from, how you got to Houston and, you know, where sure. you went to school? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so once again, thanks for having me. My name is Holly Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the author of Velvet and I, um, I grew up just outside of Chicago, um, uh, in a city called Waukegan, actually. Uh-huh. Um, I just tell people I'm from Chicago because they're not used to, uh, yeah, they, they don't know what that is. Um, but I consider myself a Chicagoan. Okay. Um, so I grew up there and um, I was always into writing and music and literature. And it was just something that was was a, a safe space for me. I, I mm-hmm. was therapeutic for me. Um, I never thought about doing it as a career or anything like that. And that proved to be true because once I went to college, I decided to go into television production. Okay. So. I went to Purdue University, which is right outside of Chicago. Boilermakers. I am a boilermaker. Yeah, I'm a boilermaker. <laughs> so I went to Purdue uh, for telecommunication, uh, graduated uh, in 03, and was working in television for a short amount of time. And then during the show's hiatus, uh, because I used to work for the Judge Mathis show, during that show's hiatus, uh, I started selling just to do something, okay. you know, make a little money on the side. And the very first class that I was put into was an English class. And it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences. It was one of those, it was a God thing. It was like, a, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Ah. 
you know, um, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't going to pay a whole lot, but it was home. It was comfortable mm-hmm. and it felt calling of sorts. So at that point, I went back to school, um, at least just to get my certification right. so that I could teach uh, English. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, I already had a minor in African-American studies. Okay. I already love for literature. So these things just started falling, you know, just kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once I graduated with my certification, I thought, okay, now where do I want to go in this country where I could actually, you know, make a little bit more money? And I just started doing my research on, you know, cost of living and, and you know, school systems. And Houston just sounded like a good place to try, you know. Right. So I came to Houston not knowing whether or not I would extend my eight-month lease. And here I am. <laughs> Years later, yeah, 11 years later uh, here in Texas has been very good to me because this is where I got my master's from Prairie View A&M, ah. got my English master's, and that's what led to Velvet. After after receiving my master's, or actually mm-hmm. in the process of receiving my master's, um, I was working on uh, independent study for six months okay. and trying to figure out, okay, what's worth six months of my life? You know, nobody wants to write about, you know, <laughs> just anything. Um so I really started delving into the female lineage of my family. Mm-hmm. That was important to me. Um, my history, obviously, you know, I had already, you know, like I said, uh, had a minor in African-American mm-hmm. studies. So my history was important to me as well. And during the course of those six months, I interviewed my uh, my grandmother, who at the time was 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And she was candid. She was concise. She was... Uh, gracious and she gave me so much information about myself through mm-hmm. letting me information about her and so the story of velvet actually begins in 1918 mm-hmm. and comes to the present and a lot of it is her accounts of what happened or what her mother told her okay. happened um so velvet is told in vignettes you might be in 1920 mm-hmm. one you know and then and it skips around you might be in 1940 and you just see uh, the development uh, of of the characters mm-hmm. uh, from being a daughter to being a mother, and mm-hmm. you start to see those complications between the two. So, um, the name of the thesis originally was Velvet: The Burden of Melanin and Motherhood. Ooh, the because burden of melanin and motherhood. The burden of melanin and motherhood. Mm. And I came up with that title because as I was writing, I realized how much um, womanhood is difficult in general. Mm-hmm. We we understand that. Um, but when you add race and societal pressure and, uh, and, and status and it, it's, you're at the bottom of so many different totem poles, right. and, but you're also trying to instill, uh, values and, and a sense of worth into a daughter in a society that in some ways doesn't value women, doesn't value the poor, doesn't value black women. And, and by God, don't let you be a dark skinned black woman. Mm. So, I really feel like, you know, black motherhood is one of the uh, most difficult cultural genres mm-hmm. that any human being can under- could understand. Okay. So I started to see those complications between mother and daughter. So I started to see those complications, uh, you know, w- with Velvet. Mm-hmm. And we're here with um, Holly Charles, the author of Velvet on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. She is a Houstonian like myself, and so I'm really excited to have someone from Houston that I can can, can interview um, locally. <laughs> and um, so Holly was just telling us a, a little bit about her academic background. 
Uh, she's a graduate of Purdue University and Prairie View A&M. And you work locally here in the Houston area, correct? I do. Yes, I'm, I've been in education for 13 years. So when I moved to Houston to become an educator, that became, you know, that was really what I ended up, you know, mm-hmm. doing for, you know, for a long time, been over a decade. So mm-hmm. been in education for a while. I love it. Would you like to give a shout out to any of your your, your students or uh, family members or anyone that maybe listened to this podcast today? Oh, you know what? If I named one student, I'd have to name them. <laughs> Oh, I won't do that. <laughs> but what I will say is, um, you know, before we, we go in more into, sure. into the book, um, is that I am, uh, first of all, appreciative that, that God, through these characters, made me a vessel so that other women could find healing. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't I didn't write a self-help book. That's not what happened. Mm. Um, but it helps people through just writing mm-hmm. real characters, mm-hmm. um, through being honest. Mm. Um through being transparent. Mm. So what happens is when I do these literary talks, I'm reading excerpts. And then what happens is there's this true and honest dialogue mm. that happens in between. And when they get to talk about what I call common tragedy, mm. sometimes we feel like, well, if everyone's had a miscarriage, you know, this, this happens, this is, this is normal. This happens all the time. Or if many black women grew up without their fathers. Oh, well that just happens. And you, what happens is you see people kind of trying to push away mm. common tragedies. As common as tragedies. Mm. Yeah. And a tragedy is, is, is no less tragic because it's common. Right. Oh, good point. Absolutely. So, you know, what happens is I remember the first time I did an excerpt reading was before the book was even published. Mm-hmm. And I had about 40 women there. And I thought, you know what, these are just my friends and people that I know, colleagues. They'll be nice. They'll listen. You know, they may drop a few dollars in the hat because they know <laughs> that this book. You know, that's really what I thought. Um, and then I would continue for the next several months, you know, uh, raising to publish my own book. And what was supposed to be an hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon turned into four hours of women weeping and sobbing wow. and admitting to uh, to attempting suicide and uh, and admitting to self-sabotaging mm. relationships. And we had to shut it down. I remember saying, you know, we've got to give up this space. You know, we've been here for four hours and we can't do this. And the women lingered. And they just said to me, you know, I've never had a chance to talk about this. Mm, to tell their story. To tell their story or to say simply, this hurt me mm. or, this, or this is difficult. Because mm. how do you complain when there are so many others who can do the same? Right. And I think that we push that to the back as black people. And then when you add, you know, being a woman on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of times we are oppressed by society. But then you also have to think because we are technically, you know, I'm doing air quotes, uh, you know, the, the weaker sex. Mm-hmm. We are a lot of times forgotten in many ways and just expected to be strong, but then told we're wrong for being strong at the mm-hmm. same time. It, it's this cultural genre of being a black woman, mm-hmm. not even just an African woman or a woman of color, but being a black mm-hmm. African-American woman is very difficult. It's challenging. And how do you raise children and other daughters in the middle of that without harming them? Mm-hmm. And that is that's a paradox. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a mm-hmm. paradoxical situation. Um, I was uh, when I was doing my research um, and, and I kind of set some notes out here because um, there there isn't very much research on black women and black right. women. There really isn't. I had a tough time finding things. But I came across um, a poem by uh, Margaret Burrow okay. called, called What Shall I Tell My Children Who Are Black. Okay, Margaret, and, and for the listeners. Mar- yes, uh, Margaret Burrow. Mm-hmm. 
Margaret Burroughs. And what was the title? Uh, what Shall I Tell My Children Who Are Black? Okay, go ahead. And this just, it really just encompassed exactly what I was feeling and my fears mm-hmm. of becoming a mother one day. And then kind of this realization of how difficult it is for right. for mother and the women that came before us and some of the characters in the book. Mm-hmm. But the poem says, what shall I tell my children who are black of what it means to be a captive in this dark skin? Mm-hmm. What shall I tell my dear one, fruit of my womb, of how beautiful they are when everywhere they turn, they are faced with abhorrence of everything that is black. Mm-hmm. What can I say, therefore, when my child comes home in tears because a playmate has called her black, big lipped, flat nosed and nappy headed? What will she think when I dry her tears and whisper? Yes, that's true, but no less beautiful and dear. Mm. I think that, yes, it's very powerful. And I think that we take for granted how difficult it is to uh, to raise uh, beautiful, strong, independent, uh, you know, uh, women, secure women Mm -hmm. in a society that says that what you are is less than. So a lot of times what mothers do is they mother based off of their fears and experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all, that's all that you have. That's what you know, you right. And that's, and that's what you're doing as a father, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, so a lot of times what a mother will pass down is not necessarily that last line, you, you know, you're, you're beautiful and dear. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you're trying to instill in them what the world is going to think so that they are not disappointed. Mm-hmm. So you end up sometimes placing uh, these misshapen um, truths into your child okay? because you're telling them the truth of what your life has been and, and it can become a hindrance. Mm. And so, yeah. And I'm here with Holly Charles, the African-American studies channel, of the new books network. And we're talking about her outstanding book, velvet. It's published, published by author house. Um, if you can go to our blog page, you'll be able to click right through and get it from amazon.com. And Hey, if you're lucky, Holly may be coming to your town. She mentioned she does literary talks. You know, often in the Houston area, but often other places around the country as well. Um, and so she's been telling us a little bit about um, her background, and she's been telling us a little bit about um, some of her inspirations and, you know, and, and places where she got her ideations for Velvet. And so let's kind of get into the book a little bit, Holly. I mean, you know, we've talked about this offline, but I really want yeah. the audience to understand, you know, the story and, and you know, the type yeah. of research that you did. Which is to me okay. is it, fascinating, you know, to be able to put these things, you know, t- together. Yes. So for me, you know how you said it was fascinating listening. Imagine I would be on the edge of my seat, literally talking to mm-hmm. my my. You know, I was on the edge of my seat listening, and it, and it's not as though you don't be- know that racism exists. We know, you know, the sure. residual of slavery. We we know what it's like to be a woman, but there's something different when you hear the story. Uh, individually mm-hmm. first hand right 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 and not just some um, psychological uh you know a uh, journal right. that, that tells us how we should have or must race have memory right but when you hear okay well this is your great great grandmother okay well that's kind of where i started actually this was my great grandmother so the first character that we meet in the book is is named Ludi, mm-hmm. who was a very very dark woman who was told very early that she was too dark to ever be Consider pretty. Mm. So what does a child do? What does a child, uh, what happens to the mind of a woman who is told very early or not to have expectations about having I- any real romantic interest from a man? Mm. Mm. What is, what is that? Okay. And you have to think that a mother is the 
leading authority on everything that is womanhood. You know, when you're two years old, and yeah, if you're two years old and you look up at the sky and you say, what color is that? And they say, that's pink. What reason do you have to question it? You don't. This is, you know, I, I mean, you know, you're, you're teaching me everything. I have no reason to question what you're saying. I may not like it. I may, I, I may feel some sort of way about it, but it, 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 there's a, there's a, what we call, I think it's Virginia R. Harris. Um, she has this theory called a prison of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alice Walker, uh, the author of a color, the color purple, she right. actually talked about how difficult it is to not be a black woman, but to be the black, black woman, mm. right? The black, black woman. The black black woman, okay, because that that's that's a different story. That's mm. different than what than what some people are experiencing. Mm. So, Ludie, this character in the book, was a black black woman in a prison of color, mm. and what she did was she kind of she built these walls around herself to protect herself. She never, you know, so she almost was this asexual character mm. throughout the book who never really believed that she was beautiful enough to do anything. Uh, uh, like have a marriage, mm-hmm. you know, and she just she accepted the truth for what it was. But what is the truth? And that's where you when I do these literary talks, we talk about well, what is the truth? Because mm-hmm. when you, you look at mom and you're upset about what she taught you. That was her truth. Mm-hmm. So for the black black woman growing up in Texas. OK, and everyone kind of confirming this negative energy for her mm-hmm. that she was too dark to be pretty. Mm-hmm. She shaped her entire life around that. And then when she has a daughter, what do you think happens? Yeah, she's going to teach her the same way. You, you pass down the, the same exact thing, you know? So I think that um, I was, and I'm looking at some of my research here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I brought my thesis out. Uh, Patricia Collins, uh, she made a comment. She said, mothers may have ensured their daughter's physical survival at the high cost of their emotional destruction. Mm-hmm. And we see that so much where a mother is just trying to give you what we call the real. Let me tell you what life is. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you that men that men cheat. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you uh, that that you don't want to stay in the sun too long because, you know, because you make a complexion. Right. Yes. Let me tell you, you know, let me tell you um, that, you know, how to marry for convenience instead of for love. Oh. I'm telling you things based off of my life, my truth. Mm-hmm. And that becomes very, very, um, it becomes a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that causes a tug of war between mothers and daughters. And I have these literary talks. A lot of times it's healing. There's, there's no division that Velvet is supposed to create. It's supposed to bring you right. Velvet is about having compassion for, for, for both women. It's hard mm-hmm. to be someone's uh, daughter when you have a mother. Mm-hmm. But but OK, but those those two things, once again, we have a paradox. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a woman saying this is what being a woman is. I am telling you the truth. And then you have a woman who's walking through life in a different stage uh, with a different set of dreams and hopes and desires. And she's still mm-hmm. the kind of add up to what her mother said womanhood is. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, once we zoom through the 20s and 40s and 50s and we mm-hmm. see these other characters struggle with their relationship with their mothers, as I'm writing it, I was having some discussions with my mother that were a little mm-hmm. topsy-turvy. And a lot of that had to do not with colorism, um, not with sexuality or anything like that. My issue was more with, you know, my evolving views of what being a, a woman was, mm-hmm. you know. So from you have to think I'm, you know, I was I, my mother got married at 17 or 18, you know, okay. to a Navy man and, and, you know, had two children and, and, you know, and 
her mother was a stay at home mom, was a domestic worker, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's me. <laughs> you know, then there's me. You know, I have a totally the world around me has changed. Um, I'm 35. I've never been married. I don't have children. Mm-hmm. What she is telling me being a woman is is totally different than what I think being a woman is. Mm-hmm. Right. Your life experience. Yes. My life experiences and even my expectations from a man. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter in the book um, um, called My Mother's Wedding Dress. Mm-hmm. Where I was struggling with whether or not to get married. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, in a relationship with someone uh, who, who probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure, he, you know, he's a great person, uh, but wasn't the person for me. And we had already, I already knew that there was some infidelity. Mm-hmm. And what I was always taught from my mother and what she was taught from her mother, mm-hmm. you know, here we go with the generational curses there, is that a man is going to cheat, but a man that loves you will be discreet. And that was kind of like this wrong mm-hmm. always a, ma- me. a man is going to cheat, but a man who loves you will be discreet. And absolutely. So it wasn't, wow. and this is the thing. These are whispered conversations between mother mm-hmm. and daughter. This is not my mother out in the world saying right. this as an open declaration. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this was her sharing what I call a, a, a spiritual heirloom with me. Oh, yes. Spiritual heirloom. Mm-hmm. Now, that was not, you know, now up until writing the, the book, I may have even looked at it like, how dare her tell me something like that or you know, I could have looked at that as her being weak or having low self-esteem herself. I could have looked at that and been upset that she would tell me to allow that in my life. But when after doing the research and really mm-hmm. looking at it, my mother loves me. My mother is an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. I, I understand what? that. What she did was she mothered me based on her fears and experiences. Her telling me that was an attempt to uh, was an attempt to to save me some distress of thinking that. Mm-hmm. That was about me. That a man doing that was trying to hurt, or that it, had, mm-hmm. it was a reflection of how beautiful I was, or how how mm-hmm. strong I was. She was telling me that to protect me more than she was to hurt me. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I don't think there was there was no hurt. In- no, no, she wasn't. She wasn't trying to hurt you. She she, she was letting you know how things how things were from her perspective. From her perspective, and 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 from her perspective, that was the absolute truth. And it wasn't until I'm literally literally at the computer every night typing and I'm having to write portions of her story that I'm realizing, Oh my God, now I'm getting, now I'm thinking that I'm writing this book about women, you know? And then mm-hmm. when I get to writing my own portion, I remember there was a point where I couldn't see the screen for the tears mm-hmm. because I started, you know, as I'm writing about, um, you know, my own father's infidelity, I'm writing about, you know, uh, you know, some of the other personal things that my mother has shared with me about her sure, marriage. Sure, sure. Um, I'm I'm writing about her miscarriages. I'm mm-hmm. writing about you know, and <laughs> it's not until then I'm thinking, Okay, this was my mistake. I, why have I had any type of resentment or mm-hmm. or ill feelings about what my mom taught me? This is the truth. Mm-hmm. It may not That's be mine. It's the absolute but it's truth. Her truth. And and this is where and this is what I like for people to understand. We have a responsibility as grown women, as human beings, because this is something that even you can take away. Mm-hmm. To be compassionate to the people who are closest to us. We can be compassionate mm-hmm. when we watch a movie on TV and say, well, there's a reason why this I, I can watch a time to kill and say, well, I understand why it killed him. You know, mm-hmm. I can understand why he killed. Him. Look, look at the story behind it. Right. 
And then we sit here with people every single day and we ignore the we ignore their story. I had been treating my mother like she was born in 1981 with me. Like that's when her life began. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. It began. Mm-hmm. She had a whole oh, full one before you got there. Oh, she had <laughs> had so many disappointments and so many, you know, victories as well. But she had had a whirlwind of, of experiences. And then she also had some that were passed down to her from her own mother. Mm-hmm. How dare mm-hmm. I invalidate what she said? Now, mm-hmm. what I had to learn, the tricky part, was that it didn't mean that I had to accept what she said for uh, me. But it does mean that I should be compassionate towards her. Mm-hmm. It does mean that I, sh- you know, I shouldn't look at it as though she does not care for me. Mm-hmm. It does mean that I am a woman too. And I can mm-hmm. tell her that I am, that I am building my own fears and experiences. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's a very intellectual conversation that lots of us don't get a chance to have. With our so you, so you can acknowledge her truth without internalizing it and making it your truth. Absolutely. And it just absolutely cannot be. And I think that even when my mom read the book, I, I'm not sure that she and I just sat down and talked the way that, that you and I are. Where we have mm-hmm. to say, well, what is your truth, mother? I'm not sure that that happened. But there were these moments mm-hmm. where, because my mother, she's super supportive um, of everything that I do. So mm-hmm. when I, I remember writing that chapter, when I finally got to the point where I was writing about her and I sent it to her, super nervous, sweating bullets, mm-hmm. wondering, was she going to feel disrespected, you know, mm-hmm. or... Because I, I wanted, at the end of the day, I wanted her to know I loved her and I wasn't upset with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't pick, I didn't start writing the book from a place of, of, of anger. So I didn't mm-hmm. want her to, by me telling the truth, I didn't want her to misinterpret what I was saying. And um, the most telling thing that she said to me one day when I asked her, I said, how do you feel? And she was quiet for a while. And I said, just tell me, you know, do you want me to take it out? What, what do you, how do you feel? And I remember her just saying, I just didn't see myself that way. Wow. And that is not an admission of guilt because there's nothing mm. to be guilty for. You no. know what I'm saying? That's not an admission mm. of guilt. It, it wasn't her being angry or mean or whatever the case may be. But when she sees it on paper, too, that she's listening to a woman uh, mm. narrate her own story. So she mm. saw me as a woman at the same time I saw her as a woman. Mm. And that I think that solidified our respect for one another and that doesn't mean that everything is perfect she's still my mother and I'm still her daughter and that's a complicated relationship forever mm-hmm. <laughs> forever mm-hmm. woman of every race um, and yeah and you know thank you so much for sharing that story Holly we're here with Holly Charles the author of Velvet you can find this book uh, through Author House on Amazon this is James Stanford with the New Books Network the African American Studies Channel and I'm here just kind of like like we're just sitting around at the at the coffee shop or at the Smoothie King or whatever the case may be, talking about Holly's book. Um, if you're ever in the Houston area, definitely check her out. You know her work; she's pretty well known for some of the things. And we're going to talk about some of the local issues and things that you're involved with a little a little bit later in the interview as well. But you know we're talking today about her book Velvet, about her book Velvet, and it's a you know it's a very personal story, it's vignettes, um, some historical fiction there. Um, but, you know, one of the things that really got me interested and excited, you know, me about your work is when you told me about, you know, you you came from Illinois, you came to Houston and you didn't even know some of the personal connections yeah. that you had <laughs> yeah. with, with, with Texas. And in researching some of these the people and, and the characters in the book, you know, you know, we talked offline about how you were in, you know, in parts of I think it was like eastern Texas, parts yeah. of Texas there. And, 
and you know, and, and you were just learning the stories of your family members, and even though everything in here, you know, just for the record, you know, everything in here is not just exactly as it happened. Yeah. But even if it's not, if it's not the story of Holly Charles's family, it's someone's family story. Mm-hmm. You know, which makes this really interesting as well. So let's just talk about that a little bit. You know. For those people who may be interested in, like you said, you know, maybe finding their family stories and talking about those things, you know, what kind of methods did, did you undertake or, you know, what kind of got into research? Where did you go? What did you do? And, yeah. and what were some of the revelations? Well, um, don't discount, don't ever discount oral history. A lot of oh, times yes. people feel like, you know, the, the, the difficult part about African-Americans trying to research their own history is that there, uh-huh. there aren't records. Right. It's it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, the bottom line is we don't know. Most of us don't know what part of Africa we're from. Most right. of us don't have the correct names or there are no last names. There aren't documents. Right. There aren't legacies and all of this to pass down. That's just the truth, you know. And I think we try to pretend like slavery happened so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> no. It wasn't that long ago. So you, you don't get to be 130 years out and then say that, okay, now we have a history. 130 years does not scratch the surface. Um. So for us, at this moment, African-Americans will have to rely on oral history. Mm-hmm. So I started there with um, just having, I talk to my grandmother all the time anyway, just because sure. I'm close with her. But it became like, okay, now, nah, Grandma, now look, this is business, so <laughs> I'm calling you, and we're going to spend, and I wouldn't tell her how much time we would spend. I, I would just say this is what we're going to talk about today. Right. And thank God I have a grandmother who is like who's who's candid and who wanted to do this for me because she didn't have and to. It was, she didn't have to. And it was a blessing that you were able to talk with her and have those conversations before she wasn't able to really fully have those conversations anymore. Yes, and now and that's key. Is, yeah, her memory began fading. Uh, I remember writing the thesis and graduating at the end of the six months, and she flew out. She was here. She was, you know, great. And she still is, you know, she still is well. Um, mm-hmm. But her memory is not what it was, you know, early stages of dementia uh, kind of mm-hmm. stepped in. Probably by the time I did my first literary talk, mm-hmm. um, I remembered seeing the signs and I was confused, you know. And I thought, mm-hmm. man, you know, um, once again, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm grateful that that. God chose that moment and even chose me to be able to tell the story mm-hmm. that it could help other people. So, um, because sometimes many of us we can wait too late to have those conversations, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, all of you listening out there, if, if you know, if you want to learn more about your family history, like Holly's saying here, you can you got to talk to those relatives. Maybe mm-hmm. get them to write it down, record them. We all have cell phones now. Mm-hmm. Record it on your on your cell phone yeah. before it's too late, Just or we could lose it. those stories. Yeah, you'll lose those forever, and you'd be surprised how much they remember. You really mm-hmm. would. But those things that are most important to them stick in their minds. Now, I'll say this. It wasn't that I didn't trust my grandmother's word, but I knew that when I started writing the book, I wanted to be as historically accurate as possible. Absolutely. As a scholar, right? Right. And yeah. And I mean, the thing is, I was I was writing it as fiction, so I knew I could make things up. But you know what? The <laughs> truth, the truth is so much better than, you know, what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Fiction. Always. <laughs> so, of course, I had to embellish certain things. I wasn't there in 1920. Do you know what right. I'm saying? So when I say right. embellish, um, I, I, the, the main uh, the main facts of the story, everything in that book actually happened. Mm-hmm. I was not there for a conversation. So those things, mm-hmm. of course, had to be imagined and summed up in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, I, I spoke with this woman and she talked about things that I knew probably sometimes I would feel guilty getting off the phone with her at night. I remember when we got to the chapter where we talked about um, the death of my aunt um, mm. who, who died as a, a, a little girl. Okay. And my grandmother actually witnessed it. Um, mm. I remember saving that question, saving that part until the I just didn't want to. I felt like I didn't want to, you know, she still, she lives in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't want to talk to her about that and then send her off to bed and say, okay, good night. You know, right, and, right. um, but she, she was strong and maybe in some ways she needed to tell the story one last time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure how much she's revisited it. I, I really don't know. Um, but she told me all of these things and it just, it, it, it I would go back and I would say, okay, let me make sure that this is right. And sure enough, mm-hmm. I would find research and I would find cities where this took place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the railroad where we where we start the book off was the Sabine Galveston Railroad. And, and mm-hmm. that's where. Right here in, great, in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So I found out while in Texas that I'm from Texas. You know, that people are from. I had no idea. I didn't move here because of those reasons. It, you know, mm-hmm. there's kind of a disconnect with families. So I didn't really know exactly what was going on, you know, until I'm looking at where the, the trains went through and I'm looking at certain cities and I'm thinking, oh, man, OK, Marshall and Carthage. And I'm, and, and I, I made it as accurate as it as it could have been could be. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're here with Holly Charles. She's talking about her book, Velvet. Published by Author House. You can get it from Amazon.com. Just click through on our New Books Network page or um, look up her name yourself. Um, you know, we're having a good conversation about her experiences as a, as a writer and a scholar. And when you get a chance to um, look and see the cover of this book, it's, it's very beautiful. And if you see Holly, she's very beautiful also. And you'll see some connections. Very. You know, I'm looking at the, the <laughs> picture here and um, I see. Holly, right? <laughs> you know, you know, I see Holly from a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so could we talk about the cover a little bit? Holly? Yes. <laughs> so first off, and and um, I said this to you offline. I am very protective of telling who's on the cover. You know, because right. <laughs> it's just because she's one. Of, it it really is one of the characters from the book. When I was having okay. these conversations with my grandmother, she was getting kind of excited. You know, three, you know, two or three months in. Right. It becomes I think I think she was happy to be able to that, you know, she has her granddaughter asking her all these questions. So it became right. fun at some point. And she was just I remember her sending me like this, this envelope. She sent me in the mail a bunch of pictures. And one was a little tiny tattered picture. It was the mm-hmm. one picture of one of the particular characters in the book. Um, uh, I'll just say that she's a character that passes or passes away early. So you can make that connection okay. when you read Velvet. Um mm-hmm. But she sent me this picture. It was tattered. And I thought, well, man, what can I do with this? But I just there was something in her eye. Um, mm-hmm. There was something soulful. There was something. Mm-hmm. I just I, I see all the women in this book as being just regal in 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 regal in in in, in almost forgotten. You know, most of the women mm-hmm. in the book are domestic workers. And, but I just saw this pride. I just saw something beautiful in her eyes, but not mm-hmm. necessarily beauty in the way that we see it. But just in her experience, I felt like you could see it through the picture. So mm-hmm. when I did my first excerpt reading, when I was still trying to publish the book, there was an artist there by the name of Sophia McConan. She's okay. she's from Houston. Sophia McConan is a beautiful person. Um, 
inside and out. She is uh, Eritrean. Her family is from Eritrea. Okay. And she does this beautiful artwork all the time. And a lot of times she incorporates her own, you know, African history into it mm-hmm. and culture. And her mother taught her very early beadwork. Ah, okay. So I remember she, you know, she said to me at the end of the excerpt reading, at the end of that four hours that I talked about, she right. she came up to me and she said, I don't know what you need from me. She said, but I just want to be a part of it. She said, mm. I will do the cover and I don't want to charge you. And it was like, how does this even happen? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know how to respond to it. Let You know, and, and I was so, of course, I'm super grateful. And she just, she just said, I just want to be a part of it. And so we had this meeting. We sit at her house and we have like dinner and we talk for hours. And she's just looking at this one picture and she's like, what do you want people to feel? When they mm. and and the word regal and royal just kept coming up, you know, mm. because that's what black women are, um, and not from the standpoint of money, because you know, royalty has nothing to do with that, really. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It has to do with, with legacy. And when I see these strong women, it just made me think of the word regal. And so she looked at the picture and she said, "I think I can blow this up." She said, "I think I can make it bigger," and I think I can. And she started going through these ideas, <laughs> and that's exactly what she did was. She she blew the picture up. Right. She hand beaded like every single bead on oh top of the gosh. picture. And she hand sewed lace. So the picture, the actual picture is. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, I guess I can show you. Uh, the picture is much more plain and I have it up in my home. Well, unfortunately, you you guys can't see this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm showing you. So it's oh, much. Right. It's, it's much plainer uh, right. of a picture. Um, so she just, she just blew it up and made it look regal. And it was just by placing these things on it. And I have lots of people who stop me and they're like, where'd this cover come from? Yeah. It's so, it's very beautiful. Yeah. It's haunting. So please give her, give, give her my regards. Yeah. 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 And mention her name again so people can know the artist. Yes. Yes. Her name is Sophia McConan. Okay. Can you spell the last name? Yes. M-E-K-O-N-N-E-N. Okay. So if you if if the listener audience wants to look her up, yeah. she's a Houston area person. She is, she is. I All think right. if you Google her, you probably find some things, or even follow yeah. her um, on um, on Instagram to see some of her work. Right. Um, and she did an outstanding job on the the cover of this. She book. did it's very very attractive. So you all will see it. You know when you go to purchase Velvet, you'll you'll see the cover. It's a very beautiful cover. And when you look at the, the author. Uh, Holly Charles, you'll see some connections. And I guess we can leave it to them after they read it to see if they can figure out which character exactly, they think Exactly, what character is. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, people, I, think, I think people read it and they go back and forth and, and try to figure out who it try is. Try to figure and it they, out. Yeah, they try to figure it out. Now, if they contact you directly, will you give them the answer if they're correct or not? Or, will you, or are you just going to always keep it to yourself? No, no, I've I've done... Uh, <laughs> I've done uh, book talks where, you know, where there was an actual book club where they've read the whole book. Right. And they're like, oh, you know, there's always had some women like, that's who I thought it was. Or no, I thought it was. <laughs> so I kind of like that element of surprise. But, yeah, after people read the book, yeah, of course, I'll tell them. I'll tell them. Who. All right. Yeah. So you guys can, and fellas and fellas, y'all can get in contact with Holly directly. And she said that she'll tell you, she will she may tell you uh, who the person <laughs> is. And it, so it sounds like, Holly, you are open to, you know, like a lot of the authors we interview here on New Books Network, you're open to talking to uh, people who read your book and engaging in scholarly, you know, conversation. 
Um, so definitely, yeah, we encourage them to get in contact with you. Yeah, the the book is not about me. Otherwise, I wouldn't even do the literary talks. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm, absolutely. I, I would be on to writing another book, but it's been three years of me going around and speaking to various groups and women and, 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 and men as well. Um, oh, yes. Quite honest with you. Definitely important for men as well. Yes, because I can only tell tell the story from the, the, the point of view of a black woman because that's what I am. But everyone can find something in this. There have been so many men who've come to me, kind of lingered afterwards because they didn't want to mm. admit that this, you know, <laughs> and, you know, kind of touched them. Right. And then they tell me their personal story about their relationship with their father and how, you know, they 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 feel like they've been hindered by their father's experience or that mm. they don't feel like their fathers are, are trusting them with their own manhood. Mm. You know, ah. so we see that that's but, you know, but that's that's what love is it is hampering mm. sometimes mm. it really really is and um one of the things i put in my research and i'm looking down again although a mother's struggle for control is oppressive her knack for love is freeing and the love mm. relationship is oxymoronic in one instance the daughter emulating her mother and in the next instance breaking free of her mother's expectations so mm. it's a constant struggle of i want to be just like you and i want to be myself mm. That is complicated. Right. So, so, so this is something, even though it's about your, your family experiences, you know, as, as a woman, mm -hmm. men can read this and get something mm -hmm. themselves. Oh, know? 100%. One you know, like, a, yeah, and maybe it can help them get closer to, to their fathers or mm -hmm. their mothers and, and, and those experiences. Yeah. And so, so fellas, if, you, if you're, you're out there, you're listening, you're like, oh, well, that ain't, that ain't for me. That's for the ladies. No, no, no. It can be for you as well. Yeah. And right? it'll help you to. I, I think it's important for men because uh, I think it's important for you to understand your daughters. Mm, oh, yes, yes. And and then it's important for you to understand how I keep saying over and over again, a mother mother's based off of her fears and her experiences. But that's what you do, too, daddy. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you're doing that. So I, I want everybody to be more more conscious of the conversations that they're having with their children. Right. You know, I always give the example that. Um, if you walk through a doorway and you fall and you break your leg and you're hurt for weeks and you're out of work and you miss pay and the rent is due. And, OK, so you've had all these terrible things that have happened as a result of you falling when you walk through that doorway. Right. When, you're, when you see your child approaching that door, what do you tell them to do? Mm -hmm. You say use the back door. Don't right. don't go through doors. Hold on to the edge when you come in. Matter of fact, come in through windows from here on out. Correct. You know, you do that because you love them, not because you're saying you're not smart enough to walk through. But sometimes we take it that way. Right. Okay? That, that, right. That right. could be how it's interpreted. Right. Mm. Right. But this is this is somebody who's saying I was hurt when that happened to me. But this is what a parent, mother or father, needs to consider. That child may just have better grip on his shoes. Mm. And say that one more time. <laughs> that child may really have more it may, may have better grip on, on on his shoes or better prepared for that situation than you better, were as a parent. Exactly. Or the times may have changed. And times change. Right. So if the times change. What I'm saying is, was it raining that day? Mm -hmm. Is it dry now? Mm -hmm. so, and we have to look at the time periods. What you know, what being a woman to my mother was in the 70s is totally different than what I think it is right now. So when right. I, the times have changed, just like with that doorway. Was it well lit? Was it uh, there were circumstances behind your fall that have nothing to do with your child when they try to come through it the next day? 
Mm-hmm. And we have to consider well those things. And most importantly, you have to consider the fact that your child may not be afraid to fall. Mm-hmm. That's you that was hurt by that. But we are different. We are shaped by our experiences. You know, when we come out of the womb, now we have a different set of circumstances around us who make us mm-hmm. who we are. We have, you know, we, we look different. We are different. We think different. Right. So we have to consider all of those things. When I become a mother, I'm I'm, I'm going to give myself a break. I understand that I won't be perfect because I can only do it based off my fears and experiences. Right. I'm hoping that since I've been running around telling this story that I'll be able, <laughs> you know, to take a step back, though. Right. Every now and then when I see that there is a tug of war, when I see us kind of bumping heads, Mm-hmm. Hoping that I can think back and say, wait a minute. Is this about me mm-hmm. or is this about her? So try to break some of these generational curses that I know you talk about a lot in your talks, right? Uh-huh. Because the thing is, a lot of times, you know, we don't know it's a generational curse because we may not consider it a curse. I just told you that I considered well, my mother, if she considered that a spiritual heirloom. And mm-hmm. I considered a cur- once again, our truths are different. So you have right. to really think. Am I telling her this because of me? Mm-hmm. Am I instilling this in her because of my past? Right. Mm. So you have wow. you have to be able to distinguish those two things. And there is no perfect there's you know, there's no perfect science to that. Mm-hmm. Because in some instances, yeah, you do need to instill some of those things into your child. But sometimes you have to there. There are things I think that maybe that my mom talked to me about that weren't in alignment with my spirit. Mm-hmm. there's something you know you become a woman a grown woman there's, mm-hmm. there's a feeling in your gut that not that it's wrong but that it doesn't fit me you know mm-hmm. what I mean that mm-hmm. it, so I, it wasn't about me criticizing mama but it didn't it didn't fit who I was so right. that chapter uh, my mother's wedding dress is an entire metaphor you know velvet velvet's chapter uh, that, that chapter uh, my mother's wedding dress it's, uh-huh. it's all a, a metaphor the wedding dress there was a time where I was going to get married and I wanted to take her dress. I, you know, I was just thinking I'll just. Right. You mentioned that to us before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. That, man, with that man that had a little infidelity. Right. So I said, OK, I'm going to take her dress and I'm going to go ahead and get married and get this thing over with. You know, there's no sense <laughs> being, being the girlfriend of a man who cheats. You might as well be his wife, you know. So I went ahead and I thought, let me, you know, let me go ahead and do this. And then, you know, if you read the book, you'll see there's a moment of clarity. Where mm. I realized how much I didn't like that dress. The dress, mm. old, the dress didn't fit me. The dress didn't look to me like it was even the same color that it did in the pictures that I saw years before. Oh. It smelled when I put it on. It itched. I had to change the shape of it in order to fit my body correctly. It was outdated. And this is the thing. It wasn't the dress that I wanted. It was just the dress I had. And how many of us are running around in a dress that we don't want? Mm, doesn't fit us. Yeah. Mm, that's something powerful to think about there. And, uh, you know, we're here with the author of Velvet, Holly Charles. Uh, the publisher is Arthur House, a uh, Houston area writer, scholar, researcher. And, you know, some of the listeners here, and we, I mentioned this before, you do literary talks. They may be really excited about getting you to come to their town, Holly. Yeah. Would you be willing, yeah, to do 100%. Um, book discussions can, and such? Yeah, yeah, oh, of course. I will tell people they can uh, they can contact me by uh, emailing hollycharlesbookings okay. at email.com. Um, 
But I'll be honest with you, you know, the quickest way, and I, when I've done radio or TV or whatever the case, when people mm -hmm. get in contact with me, they've done it through social media because that's much, that's right. it's so quick and it's mm -hmm. easier. Right now, you may already have forgotten, well, what was that email and how do I, you, <laughs> I, I didn't write it down. And, you know, so if you're in your car right now and you're thinking, I would love to have her come out for a symposium or have her as a guest uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, a keynote speaker for an empowerment summit or something like that. Right. My name is Holly Charles. Find me on Facebook. Send me a message. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the easiest way to, to get to me. Even on Instagram, I've had people contact mm -hmm. me there as well. Um, Soon to be LinkedIn. Yes. So, yes. Yes. He, you got on me about that. I haven't done. <laughs> I think I've been moving too fast. I've been moving too fast and I need to slow down a little bit to do that as well. Um, and you can and they can click on um, they can go to our New Books Network page, the African-American Studies channel. And they can click on the link. We're going to have a link right to your web page up there as well. Perfect. And so they can contact you that way. And, again, the author is Holly Charles. The book is Velvet. It's a beautiful cover. Um, if you didn't hear earlier, she told us a story about, um, you know, how that cover was developed. And you can try to solve the mystery as you read <laughs> as to the person on the, on the, the cover. Um, and Holly's also, in, you know, involved here uh, heavily in, in the Houston area as well. And, you know, we don't want to keep her all all day long. We're having a great talk, Holly. You know, we just talked about this before. We could talk all day long, you know, about, <laughs> about the, the, yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah. But why don't you, you know, you know, share with the audience some of the other things you're involved with. You know, you have a play that you've written that's that's uh, going to be uh, uh, coming up soon here in Houston and maybe some other things you're involved with. Yeah, sure. Well, well, first of all, I'll say that this book it led to several panels and literary mm -hmm. book signings, and it just – it kind of spiraled out of control in a good way, right? and um, and then I ended up being nominated to be in, uh, to to be a member of the Houston Black Leadership Institute. Oh, right. Two thousand fourteen, which was an honor, a blessing, and and honestly, it changed my life. So it, it put me in certain circles where I could continue to be a vessel of, of hope for women. Absolutely. Um. So during that time, though, we had you know during my institute days. We mm -hmm. had a class day in where we just we learned about, about the history of Houston, and I was right. oh, floored when I found out the history of Freedmanstown, which is right here in Houston. It's an mm -hmm. enslaved one of the one of the largest enslaved settlements in the entire United States. Right. So like it's it's a jewel. It is sacred space, and mm -hmm. even people in Houston aren't necessarily informed about it. No, they're not. And, right. and because of gentrification, we now have this new area in Houston. You know, how, how do you have a new area in the middle of downtown, right? But we have a new area. Uh, uh, Change the name. Right. That is now considered Midtown. But we've completely forgotten about the fact that there's a National Register Historic District called Freedman's Town. Mm -hmm. And what once was over 568 structures is now down to maybe less than 10. Mm. And only one functioning facility out of that, and that would be mm. the Rutherford B. H. Yates Museum, which is the home mm. of Rutherford B. H. Yates, who was a trailblazer. He was a, a printer in this mm. thriving society of ex-slaves who were doctors and lawyers mm. and craftsmen and ministers. And, and this is a museum people can actually go and visit you can, themselves. You can go in yourself, yes, at 1314 Andrews in Houston. Okay. And so Rutherford, the, Rutherford B. Rutherford B. H. Yates. Rutherford B. H. Yates Museum. Uh -huh. Okay, go ahead. And it literally is a historic homestead. And it's, like I said, it's the only one that is really available to the public. So there are tours, and they've, they've been open for 20 years. 
what we need is more awareness. So at the time that I was in HBLI, I thought, what can I give to this project? I, if I could, I would fund, uh, you know, the the restructure and stabilization. Yeah, reno- renovations, everything. Yeah, right? of course I would. But the bottom line is I, I don't have the money. So what can I do? And I thought, well, you know, you're supposed to use whatever talents you have in order to get. That's them. right. So I started literally that day. I started writing a play. I didn't know if it would ever see the light of day. Um, mm-hmm. But we are set to, to go into production uh, June 16th through the 18th. Mm. The Ensemble Theater here in Houston, you know, after a couple of years of hard work, um, we are finally at the stages where we will see this play. It's entitled In All Thy Getting, The Forgotten Story of Freemanstown. And what I In All Thy Getting. In All Thy Getting. It's from Proverbs mm-hmm. 4 7. Um, mm-hmm. So in all thy June 16th, June through, 16th through the 18th. Yes, it's in alignment. Ensemble Theater. Mm-hmm. It's in alignment okay, go ahead. with. Um, it's in alignment with uh, uh, Juneteenth celebrations. Mm-hmm. We did that purposely. Um, but we are just months away. We've been fundraising and making sure that we have the, the money to put on this play. And thank God mm-hmm. people are responding and supporting this play. The Greater Houston mm-hmm. Black Chamber is on board. 100 Black Men is on board. Um, and That's a couple right. of other organizations are still finalizing agreements to, to sponsor and help us host this historic event. But what mm-hmm. I did was similar to what I did with my own grandmother. I went and talked to people and I got stories and then I created mm-hmm. I created like this, uh, these fictional characters in the middle of uh, mm. of, of history so that right. could learn, OK, what is so important? What the heck is so important about Freedmanstown? And as a matter of fact, what is Freedmanstown? Mm-hmm. So that's so it. that's what. Yeah, that's your what your your, your current baby that you're oh, working that, on. <laughs> that's just my baby. I am just burping and just you know <laughs> burping so, and that baby right now. Yeah. So when you say you don't have any children, I I know of at least two that you have right now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That that those are my babies right now, and I'm really excited about what this means. Once again, you know you can you can call yourself an author, and you can put a bunch of titles to everything that you are. Right. But you're you know, but you want to be effective and none of those titles. You're, you're not worthy of being called a mother, a father, an author, a playwright. None of that is you're not worthy of the title if, if, if it's just about you. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it, it does. And, Ph.D. as well. Yeah, it's it, 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 it. I think you got to earn it. I think that when I go, I did a literary talk two days ago um, at Texas Southern University. Mm um, in collaboration with 100 Black Men, and um, they they have a mentor uh, mentorship series, and they mm-hmm. mentor the you know the young boys. Uh, uh, they mentor the parents, you know, mm-hmm. who may have also may also be suffering from these generational curses. And at the end of that time, there were women who walk up uh, crying, you know, and 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 kind of giving their souls and saying that I felt that I need to have a conversation with my mother. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't, <laughs> if I'm not having that type of an impact, then I need to pack it up. Mm. When mm-hmm. I start making it about Holly Charles having a book, when it becomes about me or how many books I sell, you know, cause those mm. things will come. Those, those things will come. They will. But when I start worrying about that, then I'm no longer effective and I no longer deserve the title. So it's the same thing with um, In All That Getting. Mm. I am happy that the community will feel connected to this story and mm-hmm. will feel a sense of pride when they hear about, you know, when they hear about thousands of slaves being thrown into the Buffalo Bayou with malaria mm. and alligators and then which is a body of water here in Richmond. Yes. Yes. And just just saying 
live. Mm-hmm. You're free, but you can't live with us. Mm-hmm. There you go. Take this marshland. So yes. I'm, I'm excited that they will. When I walked through Freedmanstown and I saw that, you know, the, the, the trolley marks and I learned that they built their own hospital and that they had mm. they had their own court system, you know, uh, mm. kind of makeshift court systems there. And I realized they built their own pharmacies and I realized that they had their own school. When I went there and realized how self-sufficient these people were, it made me proud to be black. So what I'm saying mm. is this. I am happy, not so much for me that the play is going to happen because I didn't do the play for me. <laughs> mm, no. You know, I'm not. This was your, was your contribution. This is a contribution. Every bit of the proceeds will go to the Rutherford B.H. Yates Museum. Mm-hmm. And that Freedom and Town's mu- and, Museum you mentioned. Yes, in the in Freedman's Town. And the other historic homesteads that are endangered right now, the ones that we mm. can save, that's where this money goes. Mm. And the last so, impact of the play is so that we have sustainable interest because it makes no it makes no sense to have people donate once to a project because next year we need more money to continue. So I wanted to create sustainable interest. I wanted people to Mm -hmm. say, Oh my God, how come I didn't know about this? Cause that's how Mm -hmm. I felt. So I thought Mm -hmm. this play will garner more support for them. Yes. We'll have Mm -hmm. the the funds that come in from the play and t-shirts and things like that. But then I want people to continue to patron. And that's what Mm -hmm. the play was about. Raise funds, but also raise awareness. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's just mention the name of the play one more time. And then also, you know, if people want to know more about the the play and the effort for Freedmanstown, because you know we have to, you know, we need to talk about. You mentioned the marsh. We need to talk about the bricks and yeah. some of the controversy here in Houston with that. They can go to the website for that museum and find out more information about your play and if they want to contribute and such. Yes. So if you are you are interested in in all by getting the forgotten mm-hmm. story of Freedmanstown, um, one way you know crowdfunding is is a great way if you're interested in just donating simply to the cause, you can go to GoFundMe, mm-hmm. just research in all by getting or save Freedmanstown and it, and it will pop up okay. um, for people to donate there. Um, for a tax credit and probably the more efficient way um, to donate to this project without anything, any fees coming out of it would be to go to www.rbhy.org. And that's just one more time. H-E-H-C-S. Yeah, so www.rbhy.org. Mm-hmm. And then you can just click on our page. There's an, there's a page there for an all by getting. And there mm-hmm. you'll see um, a link to an interview that I've done uh, on Fox News about the project. You'll mm-hmm. see the event details and there'll be a place for you to donate directly to them and get a tax credit there. Absolutely. So that's great work that, you know, I wanted to make sure I gave Holly an opportunity to, to mention some of the work she's doing here currently um, here um, in the Houston area. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, the play is getting a lot of buzz. If you're in Texas, no matter where you are in Texas, if you want to drive across the border and come in June, celebrate Juneteenth with us and come and see Holly's play, uh, do so. And, Holly, we have a national audience. We have an international audience. So hopefully you'll be getting some, some good feedback and people want to donate, you know, any amount. Yeah. Help us remember our, our history. Absolutely. And if, and if you've been listening to our podcast, you know, about Velvet, you can see the direct connections uh, between Holly's writing and Velvet and her work with, with this play. Um, you know, very similar type things. And, and again, the book we're talking about today, we've been talking about her play a little bit, but the book is Velvet. It's by Holly Charles. It's uh, uh, published by Author House. And. You know, Holly would love to talk with you. You can email her, contact her. She she comes to your towns as as you can as you can hear, 
And I can see, and I've talked with her directly, she's very impassioned and serious about her work. She's a serious scholar. And this is this is meaningful. It's not about getting paid and getting money. No. You know, no. though though we don't turn those down. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, we, we you know we need funding to do to do our, our work as as public scholars, academics, and you know, and uh, movers and shakers, and people who are trying to have an impact in the community. But you know, it's it's more than that. You heard Holly mention she's not about titles. And you know, I can tell you just in talking with her and 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 having seen her in, in local news media, she's writer, producer, <laughs> fundraiser. <laughs> Everything you can imagine um, she's doing with this play uh, to help get it off the ground. And for those of you who are interested in entrepreneurial endeavors, I mean, she put this book together. She, talking about Velvet, she did the work, the research. She did those things herself. So it's, it's possible and achievable for everyone. And don't let anyone tell you no. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get it done, you got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you all can hear Holly is, is very talented. You know, she, she's a, a great scholar. And this is only beginning. I, you know, I, I, I've told Holly off offline. Are we gonna get a sequel to Velvet? You know, or, <laughs> well, you know, I, gonna... well, I am. I am wanting to write another uh, book soon. Right now, I'm I'm burping this baby right now. <laughs> um, so in the to, future, maybe. Yeah. To get back to what you said about uh, about um, entrepreneurship, um, it, it's funny to hear that word because I don't necessarily consider myself an entrepreneur. I guess I always attach money to that, and I, and that's not even on the radar. Right. For me, at, we have we have to think differently, huh? Yeah, <laughs> and this is the, I know I'm not mean. I'm not a, I'm not against that. It's just that for me, this is a personal ministry for me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Money, money, it's a labor of love. yeah. So it, I, I I was telling uh, that group of women the other day because they were kind of looking like, well, how do you get to that point? Where you know mm-hmm. how does how does all this happen in you know three or four years? And mm-hmm. I said, you know, honestly, if I had if I woke up four years ago and said, okay, I want to have a book and I want to do five engagements a month and I want to have a play and I want to have that fiance. If I had just, if I'd done all of that in one day, it would have been so intimidating that I would never start. Right. It's kind of like when you have those tours around the house where you got so much to do, so you mm-hmm. do nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like me today, but, but we won't talk, we won't about, talk that. about that. Right. <laughs> and okay, that, so we go relax, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's it's like where you have so much to do that you do absolutely nothing. What right. I'm saying is, start by doing what you can do in the next fifteen minutes. We live in the information. Great advice. Half, half of what half of what you need to do can be done on your own, and actually is better done on your own by just looking online. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, stop worrying about how hard it's going to be and where the money's going to come from, and mm-hmm. stop that. Just do what you can do today. Do research. Just do what you can do. Do what you can do. When you can do it. Right. And 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 that doesn't mean like in a lax way. Be intentional. Write it down. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying if you know that by the end of the week you can come you can research at least five different websites concerning the the mm-hmm. you know, the endeavor you want, then do that. And then what happens is now you're you're sitting and looking at research. So now you're saying, Okay, well maybe I can make phone calls to everybody mm-hmm. next week. Well, you know what? I had a meeting with someone. Well, you know what? I decided that I'm gonna, you know, do a fundraiser. It's 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 steps. Mm-hmm. So start, a little bit at a time. Start worrying about what you can worry about today, mm-hmm. and with a sincere heart, you know, uh, be prayerful, of course, in all that you do. But with a sincere heart, look at what you can do now, mm-hmm. and then just and then great never stop. Yeah, that's great advice. And so we're here with Holly Charles, the author of Velvet, on the New Books Network, the African American Studies Channel. Um, 
Holly, any last words you want to leave with the audience or, you know, or anything that you want to add any other than go see your play, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, first of all, I know the, the majority of what we've been talking about today um, has been, it, it's been velvet. It's right. the relationships between mothers and daughters. Um, mm. So as far as that is concerned, I will say this. Um, the takeaway that I would hope every woman takes away from, from this day sure, is that sure. a mother doesn't try to destroy her daughter any more than a daughter tries to disappoint her her mother. Mm-hmm. Those things are just mm-hmm. going to happen. Okay. That that that's life. That that's marriage. That's right. you said. No, that's that's every relationship that you will ever have. Mm-hmm. But you have responsibility to be compassionate to one another. And if anyone should be reminded of anything, it is of that. Mm. Now, wow. as far as velvet is concerned, um, velvet, or sorry, as far as in all by getting is concerned, the play, right? The play that links back to velvet. Because the title comes from Proverbs 4, 7, and it says, in all thy getting, get an understanding. Mm -hmm. We are driven by money and power and status. Um, But in all thy getting, the literal gettings, the physical Mm -hmm. and tangible gettings, get an Mm -hmm. understanding of who you are. So whether that be by reading uh, Velvet and having a conversation with her or actually uh, doing research about ex-slave settlements that are right here in your own town. Mm -hmm. In all thy getting. Get an understanding so that you can understand how to move forward in a healthy and productive way. Mm-hmm. So that goes for mothers, that goes for, for, for black people, that goes for, for human beings. In yeah, all kinds of people. Everyone. Everyone. All right. And all that getting, get an understanding. Yeah. And, you know, and before we go to, I want to mention that as well. Velvet is your story. You're an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. But this is lots of people's stories. So if you if you're out there listening and you're thinking, well, that book is for black folks, you know, for black women or whatever, that's that's not true. This is for everyone. Everyone has their stories. Everyone has their generational curses that they're trying to overcome or, you know, their ways that they're, you know, they can connect with their ancestors. So just, you know, just briefly, I don't want to keep you all day, Holly, but yeah, I mean, will you agree with me on that? Everyone can read your book. It's not just for African Americans. Yes. um, Like I said, of course, a a, a person who can identify more closely with what I'm talking about, with colorism and and certain Mm -hmm. things that, of course, there's a, there's a a certain, uh, something that you pull out of it that's closer to what I feel. Of course. But I have had white women in the back of the room sobbing. Mm-hmm. Because and this is the thing, it, it wasn't necessarily that they felt a generational curse of colorism, uh, it, but they have felt held back in some way. Yes, universal. I remember things. one. Yeah, I remember one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me was um, I did. I went to Indiana University, um, and there was this older black woman that was there, and I could tell. Well. Le- Clearly, I, I thought I could tell something and I didn't. But I the way I read her expression was that she wasn't impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people ask questions and people cried people. And she just looked like she was just kind of there mm-hmm. just because, you know, and she thought and she did the courteous thing, which is to come and buy a book from me at the end. You know, mm-hmm. but I just didn't feel that she wanted to participate or that she got anything out of it. That was just, mm-hmm. the you know, the 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 look I got. She she bought a book and I smiled and I gave her my card and, hey, contact me if you ever need me and thank you for coming. And some months later, now this is a, a much older woman. I'm thinking she's probably the same age as my grandmother. A few months later, I get an email. Kind of broken up like you can tell she doesn't type very often. You know? mm-hmm. But it was from that woman. 
And she said she'd read the book and the gist of her email was that after reading the book, she said her her mother had died obviously long ago because she was sure, a much older sure, woman. Sure. She said she said her mother had died a long time ago and her mother had treated her differently from her siblings because um, she was the darkest one. Mm. And even on her deathbed, she asked for those other children instead of the one that was sitting in front of her, which is was her. Oh. And um, and that hurt her and it should have hurt her. And she said after reading the book that she got down on her knees and she asked God to forgive her for not trying to understand her mother. Mm. So even in wow. death, even in death, and, and, and once again, I don't know if that was an admission of guilt, her saying, I did my mother wrong and my mother did me wrong. It wasn't about that. It's the human mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. She made no. peace with her mother years after she left. And I feel so blessed and honored to be able to say that me reading excerpts and me telling the truth helped her to find her. Mm-hmm. That's what the book is. Cause I'm, I didn't write anything that was self-help, but she identified with the characters and she was able to go back and make that piece. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why you do what you do. That's what I do what I do. And there's no dollar signs I can put on that. And, and, you know, and I continue to do that. And I'm hoping to continue to have people with those aha moments, whether they're watching the play or reading the book. Absolutely. And so we're here with Holly Charles, uh, author of Velvet, Houston area scholar, historian and and author. And we're going to end it here, Holly, because it's MLK and we got to go do our MLK thing. Yes, we do. But this was a a nice part of MLK and it connects to uh, all human experience, the American experience and the African-American experience. Yeah. And so please check out Holly's work. Come see her play. In June here, what's the name of the play again, Holly? In All Thy Getting, The Forgotten Story of Freedmanstown. And it's going to be at the Ensemble Theater here in Houston. Fly in for it, drive in for it. If you're local to Houston, you know you better come over here and see it. And you can talk to Holly there, and you she can come to your, t- <laughs> she can come to your, you your town to. as well. Yeah, so if, if you're local in Houston and they don't come, you're going to go get them, I think, right? I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on doors. That's <laughs> I'm leaving today to start knocking on the door. Yeah. Telling, telling the story of Freedmanstown, which yeah. is that midtown uh, area of Houston. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so we're going to tell Holly goodbye. Holly, if you can say goodbye to my audience for me. Thank you so much for listening. I pray you are moved by Velvet to do so. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so go pick up Velvet on Amazon. This is James Stancil, your host of the African American Studies Channel of the New Books Network. Thank you, author Holly Charles, author of Velvet, for being with us today. And we'll see everybody next time on the African-American Studies channel of the New Book Network. Take care. All right. We're back here on the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel. Uh, We just finished up our interview with the author of Velvet, uh, published by Author House, Holly Charles. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, we learn a little bit about her and her, her, her methods. She's an educator here in the uh, Houston area. And please uh, uh, look up the uh, Yates Museum that she mentioned in her play that's going to be coming up in June. And uh, she's more than willing and, and open to go out and do author talks, book talks, uh, literary chats. Uh, she could come to a town near you. Um, as you heard her there, uh, she's very energetic, very passionate about her work and She's a great interview. I, you know, I love talking with her, and hopefully we can get her up here again for um, some of her future interviews or future work. 
Um, that's all for us today on the African American Studies Channel, the New Books Network. I'm James Stansel, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you.